Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of The Stone Table. My name is Travis Lowe, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Baylife Church. And I'm Mickey Lowe. I am a worship arts coordinator here at Baylife as well. And it's hard to believe this, but Thanksgiving and Christmas are now right around the corner. And Mickey, you and I just made the decision to host Thanksgiving dinner at our apartment. We did. <laughs> which is kind of a, a terrifying thing, and we're starting to realize all that we just committed to. Mm -hmm. But one of, one of the things that's been on our mind is this idea as we're welcoming people into our home, what, what does it look like to create a, a place that is welcoming and beautiful as we invite people in? Which is why I'm really excited that today on the show, we're talking with author Christy Purifoy. She is just really incredible in her pursuits. I mean, she's got a PhD in English literature. She's written multiple books. And her latest book, Placemaker, is about this idea of creating places that are beautiful and welcoming and inviting and places where peace and rest can be experienced. Yeah, and it's the the concept of placemaking is something that you and I have been talking about for the past several months, especially as we approach the holiday season and as we build our home and what it looks like for us to invest in the apartment that we have and putting down deep roots in something that we may not be in forever, but the importance of seeking beauty and creating a place of beauty and comfort and cultivating that space, not just for us, but for other people and how it can extend beyond our four walls. And Chrissy Purifoy did such an amazing job in her book at so eloquently expressing this concept in just beautiful ways. And, and through this conversation, we've just, we've touched on so much of it. And so I'm really excited to share this conversation we've had with her and just how um, amazing this concept is and how boundless it can be. Yeah, it is a great interview, and we are so excited to share it with you. And so, for Baylife Church, I'm Travis. I'm Mickey. And this is The Stone Table. So, Christy, thank you so much for being on our show. We are so excited to have you, and we wanted to talk about your book, Placemaker, as well as some other things that you've been up to. So before we go into your book, I just want to ask, you have a PhD in English literature. So what was what, what inspired you to pursue that degree and what inspired you to write what you write and do what you do? We're so excited to hear the background first. Yeah, that's true. My my story has taken some twists and turns and it's true that I'm not doing today really anything that I thought <laughs> I would be doing when I, you know, 20 years ago when I was thinking about graduate school and academic work, it was fully my intention to be an English professor, to work with college students, um, to teach literature. And so that's the journey I embarked on. And I did the PhD. I was at the University of Chicago for many years. And I can look back now and say it was all worthwhile and it was absolutely purposeful, but it wasn't purposeful uh, in the precise ways that I thought it would be purposeful because today I'm not teaching. I'm not an English professor, but you're right that I am a writer and um, I'm drawing on, you know, all of those books I was reading and, and all of that time of studying. And, um, and I do think in some ways I'm still a teacher, but I'm not teaching college students, um, but I love any chance I get to teach writing workshops or, um, or to talk about you. So this book is about placemaking and, and to, to teach on this concept that is so dear to my heart. So I feel like in a book like this, I was drawing on all of that. Um, but goodness, I never imagined I would be where I am today. And you know, I, I feel like my life is one of those examples of 
not getting exactly what we pray for and being so grateful for that down the road. I wouldn't change anything. I'm so grateful for how my life has turned out, even though it isn't what I asked for. It isn't what I predicted. Um, and I think if I had known ahead of time, I would have been maybe frightened or disappointed or, you know, who knows. But today I just look back with gratitude. So it's, yeah, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Well, so we absolutely loved your book. Mm -hmm. um, there, there were so many times where uh, I would be at the apartment and Mickey and I had something planned and she'd be like, I need five more minutes because this chapter is really good. And, oh, yeah. and so, we would, so we were like postponing things yes. so we could keep reading. It was su yeah. super engaging. Um, it was. And it shows that, that you are sort of steeped in literature. Your, your writing is beautiful. Like it really oh, is. Oh, thank you. Poetic. Thank you. I definitely do try to think about, you know, as, as believers who write, I have a message. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to God and I'm trying to, to relay things I'm hearing or I'm learning. But at the same time, a book is so much more than a message. A book can be a work of art. It can be um, a, an offering of beauty as well as knowledge or instruction. And as someone who loves beauty and loves books, it was definitely my intention to craft something out of the raw materials of my own experience and my own life and my own observations that could that could offer readers a um, an artful beautiful experience more beyond just the the message of the book itself so i appreciate hearing that that you uh enjoyed that aspect of it absolutely yeah and some one of the things we we talk about from time to time is you know as as believers we, we want to communicate truth but it's not enough to communicate truth as like an information dump right. um, true things need to be communicated with the beauty they deserve and and I, I, I think you just so succeeded in that. It's, mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. beautiful. And there were so many times I would be reading and I'd be like, somehow we went from talking about mm -hmm. trees to her apartment to this really profound thing. And I, I don't know how I, I got there, but right. all of a sudden we're, we're at this brilliant truth about life and uh, hospitality. And it was, it's just, it really is fantastic. It's so eloquently expressed. Oh, I'm so glad. And actually this all brings up something I've, I've been thinking a lot about lately because I know that... Um, as Christians, a lot of the books we read are very practical and instructive, and they're focused on a how-to, and that absolutely has its place. I know sometimes when I have a problem, I need solutions, I'm looking for a how-to book, you know, to right. just sort of lay out some guidelines for me, and so that has its place. And I think um, maybe, unfortunately, for some Christians, those are the only kinds of books that they access, but this is most definitely not a how-to book. And that was very intentional. And I know that that might actually frustrate some readers who just want to be told, you know, step one, step two, step three. But my intention in not writing a how-to, but in telling a story and in writing about uh, creation and the trees, is hopefully to create a space for readers where they can just enter into my story and then start to see their own lives and their own world and their own stories with new eyes. Um, without me having to tell them, hey, this is how you should see it. This is how you should see the world around you. Instead, it's this is how I see it. You're invited in and I've hopefully created space for you. And now you re-enter your own life with fresh eyes. So it's just a different way. I'm not saying it's better or all books should be like that, but it is absolutely um, part of my intention in, in crafting the book the way I do. Hopefully create space for, for, for others. Yeah, I, I, I think it, you certainly have, and I think it's a necessary way. Um, mm -hmm. I was reading this uh, introduction to the Pentateuch, and there was a quote mm -hmm. in it from a, an Old Testament scholar, and she said, I don't know how to teach people how to read the Bible except by reading it in front of them. And, wow, and yes. I, th I think that's kind of what you've done is you've, in front of us, unveiled sort of your process of placemaking. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it is an act of teaching, but not sort of this didactic, here's five mm-hmm. ways of doing things, but sort of just mm-hmm. laying it in front of us as, as it's been in your life. Yeah. I think too, as different as people are and as different as every place is, you know, and part of the story is wanting to capture that uniqueness. I write about Florida, right? I write about Chicago. Yeah. I write about cities. I write about the country. I know that placemaking, um, this thing I write about that I know we'll talk more about and maybe even define a little bit, but I know that placemaking is going to look different based on who is doing it and the places they inhabit and what their community looks like. And um, because of that, uh, I can't just lay out the guidelines. I need to just invite people to consider what it might look like for them because I know it's gonna look, it's probably gonna look um, like things that I've never even imagined, that I've never even dreamed of and sort of passing the baton in that way. And so, um, yeah, as different as places can be, I think placemaking as well could look like all kinds of things. So I hope there's room in my story for just that, that variety and that possibility. I hope people see just, you know, oh my goodness, all the possibilities. Right. And one of the things that we're going to get into is what that looks like for us in our context and where we're at, yeah. whether we're homeowners, apartment renters like like us. Right. Uh, so we're definitely going to dive into that. And But to start off, can you explain to our listeners what a placemaker is? How would you mm-hmm. define a placemaker? Yeah. You know, I think of a placemaker as anyone who is willing to sink their roots in deep, to really love a place to tend a place, to care for a place, and to do that even if they know they're only gonna be in that place um, for a short while maybe, or or it's temporary. Um, Maybe because they rent a place or because they know they're in school, they're only here for six months or a semester, or um, for whatever reason, we we tend to live in a somewhat nomadic culture, right? right? We move around a lot. Um, and so whether you're, you're in a place for short term or long term, or you don't even know because life is uncertain, um, I think it takes courage to, to love a place um, because when we love, just like loving people, right. uh, it opens our heart up to be wounded, <laughs> to right. be hurt or to be disappointed. Yeah. Um, if we know we're going to be moving on, it can be painful to pull up those roots, but um, placemakers um, are willing to do that. They're willing to, to do that that work of love, which I think of as, you know, that's why I write about trees. That image mm-hmm. is so important to me, is trees are deeply rooted. So it's about being deeply rooted people in the places where we are. Yeah, absolutely. In your introduction, there's actually a quote that says, like the God to whom we belong, we are placemakers. So can you explain a little bit about what it means to say that God is a placemaker? That's right. When I've been thinking through this idea of placemaking, what it looks like in my own life, that is absolutely the um, the model I look to is who is the, the God we follow, the God we know, the God who's revealed himself to us. And he is a God of places. Mm-hmm. He's always been a God of places from the beginning of creation. Um, I think of this earth as such a good gift from God for us, but it isn't only just this whole planet, but it's all the little places that he carved out for us. Of course, it was the garden or Mm -hmm. it was a promised land or it was a temple or it's the place I live now, this little corner of Pennsylvania um, and this farmhouse on a hill. All these places were made by God. And I think because we are made in this place making God's image, there's something of that in our own DNA. Um, And when we care for places, when we shape them for the better, Mm -hmm. when we tend them, we are um, living in a, we're, we're live, we, we look like our maker. We're, we're doing right. the work that, that God has done before us. And we're participating, I think, 
in something that he set in motion with creation. Mm-hmm. I, I think of it sometimes as a like a like a like a dance or a song, and it's always happening. It's always around us. And when we are living as placemakers and we're living with a kind of right relationship to the ground under our feet, right. it's like we're joining in. It's like we're singing with the trees. It's like we are, you know, we've joined the dance. And um, uh, I love thinking of it that way because then it's not such a solitary thing. Right. It's a communal thing and it's uh, it's something that joins us with all of creation. And it, I think, becomes a, a kind of worship as well. It's mm-hmm. an act of worship. Absolutely. And there's something about participating in the design that God has woven through nature. And so seeing those themes really pointed out in your writing has been so eye-opening. And there are so many points in there where you bring in the the scientific facts that really contribute to God's meticulous character. And you see it mm-hmm. through nature everywhere. Those images really, really contribute to the themes that you're pulling out with this book as you follow your journey as you place make. And so for us, I mean, we just got married. And so place making is something that we've been talking through for the past however many months. Four or that five we, months. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so this was really interesting to read because you sort of start your journey when you got married and mm-hmm. you start with the apartment, your very first apartment. That's and right. so that was super interesting to read because we're in that place right now figuring out how we can make our home hospitable, how we can make it uh, a place of beauty and a place Mm -hmm. of rest and peace. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us about your journey of becoming a placemaker yourself? Yeah. And, you know, you highlight something significant as well. One reason I use the term placemaker is because it's it's a fresh word that doesn't come with a lot of history or baggage. Mm And I think it's related to a word like homemaker. It is about homes and caring for homes. But of course, we often use the word homemaker uh, and we think only of women. And you're right that my placemaking journey really began as a young woman when I got married. And I fully believe that placemaking is something that my husband, Jonathan, and I have done together in a partnership for, for these you know more than two decades now. And um, we've expressed that in different ways, but it is very much a part of our, um, uh, our partnership in this world and the home that we've created together and the ways we've cared for places together. Um, but you're right, it began in the tiniest little apartment mm-hmm. when we were college students. And you know, I'll say two things. In opening the book in that way, I wanted to capture this tension, which is, As placemakers, we often focus on what is broken or ugly Mm -hmm. or not right, and we want to fix it. We want to make it better. We want to bring more beauty to that, and that's my tendency, and that's a good thing. That is uh, absolutely a good thing, Um, but the tension for me in that first apartment was that, you know, our means were limited. Our countertop was the strangest, most vivid shade of 70s orange. Yeah. (laughs) And I wanted only to cover it up. I wanted it to go away. And Mm -hmm. I was dissatisfied with what we had. And so as a placemaker, I've had to learn to walk that line between longing for things to be more beautiful and also seeing the beauty that is always already there and always already given. So as much as that countertop bothered me, you Mm -hmm. know, 25 years ago, when I think of it now, I think that was actually quite a beautiful color. I grew flowers in my garden that are that exact Mm -hmm. shade of vivid, beautiful, you know, reddish orange. Um, But that was a beauty I couldn't see then. And it's taken time and maturity, I think, to appreciate that, you know, what we had was actually very good. Um, So there's that tension to make better, 
and to cultivate what you have and to do more with what you have. And at the same time to have a heart that is grateful, that sees beauty maybe where others don't see beauty, that sees the potential where others haven't seen potential. Um, it's not an either or thing. It's absolutely a both and. So it might be painting the wall of your rental, some mm -hmm. gorgeous color, or it might say, okay, I can't paint, but aren't these white walls the perfect canvas for my, my photographs, you know, framed on the wall right. or, or whatever it is. So it, 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 some days it's one, some days it's the other, sometimes it's both. Um, and I think uh, in the early days of my marriage, early days of my placemaking, when I was renting, when my, you know, budget was super, super tiny. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I felt that tension more. Um, and, but, you know, it's, it's always present. It's still there today learning uh, just, you know, where is that line um, in, in, in any given place and just keeping both in mind always. Yeah. It's it, so it's interesting that you mentioned the, the orange countertop because we, <laughs> so in our process of placemaking, I've, I've lived in the same apartment in the city for six years. And so when we talked about getting married, we decided it would probably be ideal for Mickey to move in with me. Uh, but my apartment was hideous in terms of color. <laughs> like the walls are this, the only, the only thing I can describe it as is like Mountain Dew yellow. Yeah. Oh, that's, no. that's, it was pretty offensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I said that the, the month I moved in, I'm going to paint these walls and I just never did. And so we set about the task of painting and, and there was this like, yeah, and I think you can attest to this. I was yeah. like, I want it gone. I want like, I want the yellow gone mm -hmm. to the point that I think I had a few breakdowns in the process. During, because everything was yellow. Every nook and cranny, every corner, everything was yellow. Door handle, hinges, everything. Um, Mountain view Everything. Yellow. So, and our parents graciously helped us and our family stepped in, but it was like covering that yellow took layers and layers and coats. And, and it was way longer than we expected. And so maybe like by the second day we were, we we're like, okay, this just needs to, <laughs> this just needs to be done. But there was definitely that tension for us because we're like, this is a rental. I mean, we don't know how long we'll be here for, but we knew we wanted to, it to look different. And we knew that that gray and white trim would make it more beautiful. And so we stuck it out. We did it. Yeah, we, we did. It we, is in a week and a half, but <laughs> there's a few sort of like inner strips of doors that are still yellow and yeah. that we forgot to get to. So every <laughs> once in a while I'll open the closet and go, It's Just shake it's, head. it's like taunting me <laughs> in some ways. But but there is this tension, right? Like mm -hmm. like I've lived in this apartment for six years, but we know we're not gonna live here forever. Mm -hmm. And we've yeah. we've invested weeks and weeks of our free time in making it beautiful knowing that we won't be there right to, yeah. to see that beauty through to the end and mm -hmm. and that is sort of the tension of letting your roots go deep in any place mm -hmm. it absolutely is yeah and there are so many people who would say like that is a foolish thing to do that mm -hmm. is a waste of time that is a waste of money that isn't something with an eternal value right we love to, to think about what has lasting eternal value and in some sense New paint doesn't have that eternal value, but what does is the work, the right. care, the tending, the vision. You have a vision for something that is more beautiful, something that will bless you and your guests. And those things are eternal. Those things right. have a, a spiritual weightiness that I think we really should see the value in. But it's too easy to say like, oh, you know, that that's a waste. That's a waste. And I've done that. I still do that sometimes. I think what, you know, what does this matter? And I'm learning again and again that that choice to love a place well 
so that it can serve you and so that it can bless others so that God can use it as a way of meeting your needs mm -hmm. is um, absolutely, uh, it's, it's, it does matter. It does matter. And it matters in a, in a spiritual sense, an eternal sense. It matters. I love this quote in the, the first chapter of your book where you say, for 20 years, my husband, Jonathan, and I have learned to care for others by caring for the places in which they dwell. And I don't know that we often think of our care for a space as an act of hospitality. Mm -hmm. and, and yet it is. I mean, in us, in us getting rid of the Mountain Dew yellow walls, we're not just doing that <laughs> so that our apartment looks good for us, but so that we can cultivate this space here where we can bring others in and, and share God's hospitality with them. And so <laughs> may, let's talk a little bit about that. I'm, I'm sure there's people who hear this and, and think this is purely a, an act in service of me, but how is, how is placemaking something that we do for the sake of other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was absolutely revolutionary for me um, as, first of all, as an introvert who, who just can't be with people all of the time. I need, you know, solitary time. And so, and often in my solitary time, I would be doing things like painting a wall or taking care of my garden. And it was life-changing for me to realize that that work that I was doing in solitude was actually for others and not just for myself. So that the next day, perhaps when someone walks through my garden right. and they're blessed by that, that beauty and that space, I've served them in that way, but I did it, um, just in that solitary work. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's an idea of hospitality that goes beyond the moment of the table where we gather around a table or the moment where we open our door to a guest and it encompasses everything that comes before, you know, before you ever open the door, you've prepared a place. Um, you've maybe, and maybe you've just done that by not filling up your, your home, but leaving space for a, a guest or for someone else right. to enter in. Maybe you've done that by not filling up your schedule, you know, your time, mm -hmm. so that there's time for other people. So when someone knocks on your door, you have time for them. Um, it's not just the moment around the table, but it's all the preparation that happened in the kitchen ahead of time, or it's the years you spent learning to cook a few recipes well, mm -hmm. so that you could serve other people food. It's all of it. So for me, it's just, it's hospitality and it's what we know about hospitality it's what we know about serving other people but it's seeing it's stepping back enough to see the bigger picture of that in order to value things that maybe um, we didn't see their value because we hadn't connected them to that core of um, of serving other people but you know I will also say again there's a tension there's a tension because I want to say well this matters as long as someone else is blessed by it but God is teaching me that it matters because he can use places to bless me and to show his love for me. So yes, my garden is a place where other people are blessed, but I feel like primarily it's a way where God meets with me and where I right. walk with God in that beautiful space. Um, some days, some days it's just full of weeds and that's like our, our garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that, I think that's a, that's a good point. Like, yeah. I mean, if we think back to the first garden, um, Adam works and keeps it, and it's just he and Eve walking with the Lord. Uh, yeah. They're not inviting right any anyone into it other than than God and and one another. And so, mm -hmm. I, I do think there's something really valuable in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I, I love the idea that that you just brought out that hospitality goes beyond the table itself. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think we we have a myopic view of hospitality, which is that it is 
it is the feast rather than all the preparation that leads up to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think yeah. about, um, you seen the movie Babette's Feast before? Oh, I love that film. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I just taught a class here on the theology of food. Yeah. So I'm kind of like thinking oh, in, great. in food terminology. But but even that film, like as, as Babette is preparing this feast, her act of hospitality is not just the meal, but it's all of the time mm-hmm. she's she's prepared mm-hmm. learning how to cook these dishes. And mm-hmm. it's the money that she lavishly spends on this mm-hmm. final meal for her guest. And it's it's not mm-hmm. just that the food is good, but that it's beautiful. And and man, I think that's important. I honestly I'm I'm processing this now because I've never thought mm-hmm. about yeah. it. Yeah. And it's like with Thanksgiving coming up, for example, it's such a great time to take advantage of these concepts that go beyond the moment where everybody's gathered. It's the preparation yeah. and it's even the the time, like you said, it's making the time to be available for people and for your home to be available. So even with this season coming up, as we're figuring out how we're going to work through these seasons now as a married couple, it's so important mm-hmm. to keep that in mind and for everybody here who are listening and, and are trying to figure out ways to make make their home a, a place where it's available and it'll glorify yeah. God and it'll be a place where um, he can meet with us too, individually yeah. as well. You know what, Thanksgiving reminds me as well, as and, and this is connected to Babette's Feast, in that there's also something about receiving the placemaking of others. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you're the person who's hosting for Thanksgiving and you've opened up your home, but perhaps you're the person who's been invited into someone else's home. And I see that as absolutely essential as well, because as a placemaker, it only works if others are willing to receive what I have to give and are willing to say yes or willing to enter my space. Mm-hmm. And I think of Babette preparing that food and she had so much to give, but she was in a community that was struggling a bit to know like how to receive it yeah. <laughs> or whether they could receive it. Um, and so it's both, it's both the giver and the receiver. And uh, and so for those you know who might be who might think, well, I'm not a placemaker. I, I go into other people's home. I'm always a guest. You know, I'm always the one who, mm-hmm. um, you know, just shows up and needs to be served. But I see that as a as a really kind of a holy, H O L Y, a holy role as well um, mm-hmm. to be the one, the guest who sits at the table. Often the guest is, I think, um, almost becomes like Christ in the home, um, giving others an opportunity to serve Christ in them and love them, and so. Yeah, whether you're the the one in the kitchen or the one just sitting at the table and mm-hmm. showing up, um, I think both are um, really essential and, and really valuable and spiritually meaningful. Mm. So something I wanted to ask you about is about your current home, Maplehurst. It looks amazing on Instagram. Your <laughs> pictures of it are beautiful. Um, but I know it's been a journey for where you are now. So can you talk to us a little bit about the joys and the frustrations in managing a home? Mm-hmm. You know, the main thing that Maplehurst has taught me, and Maplehurst is an old farmhouse, it was built in 1880 um, here in Pennsylvania, and it needed a lot of work. It still needs a lot of work. It needed more work than we realized uh, when we bought it, which was a good thing that we didn't know what we were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing it has taught me is uh, that placemaking makes the most sense. It works the best. I think it works most according to God's plan when it's done in community, when it is work that we share. So you might share it within your marriage, you might share it within your neighbors, 
Um, but Maplehurst was beyond us. We had done all kinds of DIY before right. Maplehurst and we felt really capable. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in old places in Chicago. We thought we could handle it. We thought we could do it all on our own. And we thought too, that that made, that that was the wisest thing, that that was the most frugal way to do it, that that was, um, you know, it's kind of that American can do weekend warrior attitude. Right. right. And we, we valorize that, but Maplehurst was beyond us. It was too much for us. And it, it exposed, um, weakness in us mm-hmm. and, um, and, and lack in us. And we had to invite other people into our space and we had to, um, uh, allow them to meet our needs, um, old home restorers and window restorers and the rest of it. And the great, like unexpected gift of that is that these people became friends. They, they invested their love in this place. And now it's even more of a shared space. Um, and I just, I hadn't, that's just something I hadn't experienced before Maplehurst. So as much as Maplehurst has been so much harder (laughs) than I ever imagined and too much in so many ways, Mm -hmm. that too muchness, um, has, um, become a great gift. Yeah. One one of the illustrations you use in your book that I, I thought was so fascinating is the way that forests are almost connected in this network-like sense, mm-hmm. so that if if a tree dies, uh, there are other trees through, and I guess we don't even know the mechanism exactly, but they're sort of all taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. And we we went for a walk last night, and we're just talking about uh, what a picture that is of of the church as it ought to yeah. be. Uh, what mm-hmm. a picture that is of true community as mm-hmm. as it should exist. That mm-hmm. our our lives are bound up with the lives of those around us. And, and we're sort of woven together in such a way that when when one tree dies, the rest yeah. of the trees care for it. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of beautiful back and forth that happens. Absolutely. And when one tree is injured, it's an injury to all. And I think if we could learn to, to see that, it would help us so much um, in trying to love our neighbors as ourselves, you know, the way Jesus taught us. If we understand that when someone else hurts, when my neighbor hurts, I hurt, um, and not just in some ph- philosophical, mm-hmm. abstract sense, but but truly, profoundly, when one part of the body hurts or is injured, the whole body um, carries that injury. And yeah, if we can if we can see in less, I think, individual individualistic terms, and and have that image of the, the connected forest. Um, and the mystery of that connection, you know, our, our connection as the body of Christ is mysterious. We don't exactly know how it works, but we know it's true. And, um, I, yeah, I kind of love that scientists don't exactly know, like, how are these trees, how are they connected? Um, it's a bit of a mystery and, uh, yeah, I just think it's a really powerful metaphor. Um, you know, it's a metaphor, but it's, gosh, for me, it's so much more than that, right? Because God made the trees and God made us. Somehow it is just woven into mm-hmm. the material world. It's just the way things work, that we are connected. Um, and, you know, that's how God set it in motion. And it's still true today. Um, and learning to see that, I think, helps us to really partner with what God is doing um, in ways that it's just harder for us when we are seeing only um, in terms of like myself, my world, my family, my castle, you know, I think mm-hmm. place me like the opposite of my castle mentality. Like mm-hmm. this is my home, my castle. Um, instead, it is um, just the, the, the patch of earth I'm tending for everyone's benefit and not just uh, my own pleasure. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking of the, the interdependent relationships that came from Maplehurst and mm-hmm. thinking back to the neighborhood that I grew up in it, it was really interesting that 
everybody helped everybody else out yeah. in their yard. And so there was an, an older gentleman who couldn't take care of his lawn. And so my dad would go mow his lawn or yeah. uh, there was a, a guy who was sort of a shut in. And so my parents would bring food to him on Christmas. And there was mm -hmm. this interconnectedness, not just of emotional support, but helping one another create mm -hmm. a neighborhood that was beautiful. In tangible yeah. ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's a different way of seeing weakness or need as well, because then weakness or inadequacy isn't a problem to solve. It isn't something to fix or something to be ashamed of. It becomes actually the, the, the glue or something that, that unites us, that brings us together, that um, strengthens our community. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's true even if it's my own weakness and my own need, the, thing, the, the need that I can't meet when I let others meet that. Um, for some shared vision or some shared goal, like that is strengthening the community. That is actually, you know, maybe that's what it means for Christ's strength, you know, to be perfected in our weakness, um, that, that it's actually um, necessary somehow. But yeah, your image of like helping each other with the lawn work, like that is how it happens. That is what it looks like. Here in Pennsylvania, um, it's often with like sharing snowblowers or shoveling mm -hmm. someone's sidewalk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're getting into that season. So yeah. Mm. And I think that with your home in Maplehurst, you've sort of done uh, what you can to make it a shared place. And so mm -hmm. something I've kept up with is your very own podcast, The Out of the Ordinary, that you do with Lisa Jo Baker, which is so lovely. And there was an episode where you did a live episode recording at the barn at Maplehurst. Yes. I can imagine how crazy exciting that was. So can you tell us a little bit about that? It was so exciting. I think you know, here we are speaking sort of virtually, you know, through through the computer. And I love that we can do that, that that Christ's body can transcend, you know, space in this way. And yet it's always so good when we can like be together, mm -hmm. uh, flesh and blood. And so to take our podcast where we're having these conversations about ordinary life, just telling stories of ordinary life to help people see um, just how extraordinary, you know, ordinary life can be. And, yeah. and that um, just, you know, the, the most beautiful stories God is writing really have their roots in just our ordinary experiences. And then to take that, um, those conversations and, and have them kind of face to face yeah. in a place that God has allowed us to create here at Maplehurst. Like it really was a dream come true. You know, I thought when we moved here, we had the word community in mind. And I knew we were moving here for community, but in my limited understanding, I assume that just meant for my actual neighbors right next door. Mm -hmm. And it has looked like that. It has been that kind of community, but I had no idea that God would actually allow us to cultivate a community that in some ways like spans the globe. You right. know, we might have listeners in South Africa who are listening in. And so that much bigger picture of community has mm. um, been like, like, it is still astonishes me to think of it. And it's just, I love knowing that um, God, you know, he shows us so much of what he has in mind, but he's always up to so much more. And sometimes we get glimpses of that more. And um, I had no idea how much more he had in mind um, yeah. for the community of this place. So, you know, it's why I'm on Instagram. It's why I do the podcast. It's yeah. like another way to practice hospitality. These are more places where I can open the door. Even right. if you live in Florida or you live, you know, on the other side of, of the planet, I can extend a certain amount of hospitality in these other ways. And that feels like a, a real privilege. Yeah, absolutely. And I can even say that it's been so encouraging to me as I'm sort of beginning my journey in placemaking, having a home of my own and it's ours. And so that's been super encouraging to be able to keep up with 
you and your uh, sacred ordinary concepts that you talk mm-hmm. about in your podcast and in your blogs um, and through your Instagram feed. Your The pictures of your home are so beautiful. And so that's been so encouraging to me. And, and it's so awesome that I'm able to do that in a virtual sense. But yeah. it's so true that there are so many ways that hospitality and placemaking really do go beyond the, mm-hmm. the physical. It's something that's mm-hmm that's boundless and and mm-hmm. it's up to us to take advantage of those opportunities to, to do what we can in those areas. Mm-hmm. Boundless is a good word. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Boundless. That's it. Yeah. So Christy, you are an incredibly busy individual. I mean, you're, you're writing, you're blogging, you're podcasting. Um, and you take pictures of your own in for your own Instagram feed, right? I think I, I heard do, that yes, in yes. your uh, one of your episodes that you started taking your own pictures, which is That's so cool. Right. Yeah, yeah, learn, yeah, learning more about photography, which has been so much fun. I'm yeah. really enjoying that. Yeah, yeah. we were, we were talking last night, and we were like, I don't even know how she has time to talk right. to us with everything yeah. else. That so she's lucky. Doing. <laughs> yeah. So so for the people that are going to be listening to this, who I'm, I'm sure are going to just be so engaged by the things we've talked about. What's next for you? How can they keep in touch with you and, and just keep, uh, keep in the know on some of the things that you've got coming up? Yeah, that is such a great question because I actually, it's, it's a really abundant season I'm in and there's a lot um, that is coming things I can't even like fully talk about yet. Mm-hmm. But okay. if, uh, if your listeners just find me at christypurifoy.com, um, they can sign up for my email. And so I am making sure to like send all the updates uh, via email to share it on Instagram because we have some really fun projects going up. Not just, um, we've been talking about community. I am so excited that we are, um, we're uh, we're doing some more community initiatives under this, this umbrella idea of the Black Barn Collective. So mm-hmm. we have this Black Barn here at Maplehurst and um, we want to open it up for gatherings and events. And we want to, you know, um, cultivate like creative faith-based community here, but we want to do it not only in this place, but offer it virtually to people. So we have a little project in the works um, that, uh, you know, again, if, if they'll just stay connected to christypurifoy.com, they'll find out as soon as it go, goes live. And it is this idea of a more boundless hospitality, a way to not only welcome people here to this place, but to extend that welcome, um, even if no one, you know, you don't get on a plane and come here. So yeah, we're working on these um, community efforts. And then as well, I'm writing more and more about gardening, which is such a surprise to me. I mean, talk about twists and turns from my English professor days. I never, I mean, I lived in the city. I didn't know a thing about gardening, but here I am doing more and more of it. So my next uh, book projects are going to focus more on just the wonder of um, creation, particularly in the garden and hopefully encouraging more people to um, take their placemaking outside and, um, and do it for the wonder of it, the beauty of it, and not just the utilitarian, you know, I mean, growing our own food is great, but growing our own flowers is great too. So I'm looking forward to, um, to writing books in that vein and, and, uh, including my photographs as well. So awesome. Hey, seriously, thank you so much for having this conversation. Uh, we have enjoyed every minute of it and are really thankful for all your work. Yes. Thank you. It's been an honor and a privilege and um, just so grateful for the opportunity. So thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with our friend Christy. If you found it helpful, we would encourage you to pick up a copy of her book, Placemaker, check out her blog and follow her podcast, Out of the Ordinary. 
Be sure to join us next time as we sit down with Reggie Kidd to discuss the season of Advent. For Baylife Church, I'm Mickey Lowe, and this is The Stone Table. Thank you.